Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the About to Interview podcast. Here to amplify diverse voices in media, I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. About to Interview focuses on the conversations I have with writers, actors, directors, artists, and other creatives, and is a supplemental version of the weekly film review podcast About to Review. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Alexa via TuneIn even. You can yell at your Alexa and say, Alexa, play about to review. And hopefully she will. Hopefully she will listen to you. You can also follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as YouTube.com slash About to Review. AboutToReview.com has all the links to show notes and guests. And you can also support the show on that website by clicking the support tab. There is a direct PayPal link if you're feeling generous. There's also an Amazon wish list in the episode description if you want to go that direction. The interviews you are about to hear are from the 5th Annual Vancouver Badass Film Festival, which happened from March 29th to March 31st at VIF Van City Theatre and also at the Rio Theatre in Vancouver, British Columbia. This episode is sponsored by David Abusafu, who is the co-creator of the Vancouver Badass Film Festival, and his company's Generativity Productions, which is a Vancouver-based financing and production company that makes it happen for budget genre film. Generativity Productions, make it happen. And also, Darkside Releasing is a Vancouver-based international distribution company specializing in wild genre films. Darkside Releasing, wild genre films. Now, with this episode, with all these interviews, you will hear this sound. Between all of the interviews, all of the interviews will be time-coded in the post below. Thank you to all of my guests, David Gilbank, Matt Pop, Roberto Lanzas, Rusty Nixon, James Clayton, Phil Granger, Havana Guppy, Debs Howard, and Bonnie Hay for making the time during this very busy festival to sit down and talk with me. So to start the show... Here is the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. The director and co-writer of Polterheist is now joining me, David Gilbank. Welcome. Hello, how are you? Good to be here. So your film, Polterheist, uh, which definitely I had to Google a couple times because I was like, how did he get the trademark for Poltergeist? I was pretty sure somebody else had that. And then I was like, wait, plan words, Polterheist. Exactly right. So very clever. Talk Mm. about this really clever film. (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. Um, Well, um, it was we, we'd come up with the idea for Polterheist in in effect um, about oh about eight years ago nine years ago, and we wrote a short uh, script a short film uh, around the idea. The central idea was that um, a psychic medium um, would be possessed by a gangster, and that was the sort of the the idea the central idea of it. And um, so we wrote a short film, 
Um, but we didn't have the, quite the actors because up until that mm. time, we'd auditioned a couple of people, but they weren't quite right and they didn't really have what, what I was looking for. I, you know, I'm heavily influenced by films like Get Carter, uh, okay. the Michael Caine film, the, mm-hmm. the British Michael Caine film, and um, films like The Exorcist and The Omen and things like that. And so I wanted to sort of uh, to mash the genres up a little bit and... and you know, and mix it up and get that story. So we came up with the whole idea. The central idea is that two uh, low-level gangster sort of soldiers um, make a make a mistake. They accidentally kill somebody who um, who has access to all this money that they need. So they go and you know they come up with the bright idea of kidnapping a psychic medium who will channel. Uh, some answers or be able to give them some answers as to where this this boo this this money is 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 buried. And of course, they they all they do is unleash a demon or somebody who's you know the, 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 their former boss who's uh, who's out for revenge in a big way. And we wrote the short film, and the short film we found a couple of actors who did a really good job. Um, on the, so we made a short film, and that was about four or five years ago. And that film did very well on the festival circuit, um, went all around the world. And off the back of that, we developed a bit of momentum, and we raised some cash, and we made a feature film. And um, we wrote a really good script. I thought it was a, a, a really, really good script that just kept the story, propelling the story. So we cut all the, the fat away. We made it was the story was all about was you know compelling, and it just it kept on moving. So I think you might if you've seen the film, you'll see that it, it just moves. It, it moves really, really quickly, and there's there's not a lot of time to sort of sit and gestate a lot of what's going on. It just the story keeps going on, and that's what we wanted to do. I, I consider myself a commercial filmmaker. Um, somebody who you know who, who makes a film that where audiences um, you know don't have to go and ponder the meaning of life. Uh, audiences will go in and they'll get a lot of bang for their buck. Um, this is this was in every sense of the word. This was an indie film, mm-hmm. a very low budget indie film. Um, but we made damn sure that we had a really good script, but we also had some really good actors. And um, I got a young up and coming. Uh, director of photography to actually you know get make the vision come alive as it were and um you know we we put together a pretty good film um which i well i like to think it's a pretty good film (laughs) i um, I agree as well so you know (laughs) yeah and and you know so it's it's in every essence of the way it is it's a low budget indie film where you know the the production values are quite high um and you know, and I'm, I'm just glad we did we did justice. The promise of the story, the promise of the idea was was realised without the sort of so many limitations of the money, if you know what I mean. So it's it's a big idea um, that perhaps if we'd had a few million quid or a few million dollars or something, you know, it was it was done in Hollywood, mm-hmm. they probably would have had you know Harvey Keitel and John Travolta or whoever doing it, and it would have been you know would have been a big budget. We would have had some big names above the title. We didn't have any of that. And we relied on the fact is that we, you know, it was, it was, we made a good script with some good actors, and we really just wanted to make. And I'm a storyteller. I'm a, I'm a, a writer by trade, and um, you know, so I, we, we always everything we do for this project and for future projects, we, you know, we've got some really great scripts that we're um, that we're that we're we, you know that that will tell a really good story and will give audiences um, you know a good ride. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I mean, you mentioned you know working with a young up-and-coming you know dp for this picture one of the things that stood out for me from the very beginning was the score so umberto did did the score and for that like the music in this like everything just fit really well so that was something that 
stuck out for me from the beginning through the entire film. You know, I'm really glad you've said that, and and I'll tell you why, because he's one of the unsung heroes of that film is Umberto. Umberto Gordino is, believe it or not, 23 years of age. Really? He, I, I found him at uh, the Leeds uh, Conservatoire of Music. Uh, Leeds is in a, is a, a big city in West Yorkshire in the UK, and um, I was very, very lucky. We... We, we started thinking about the score. I think we were halfway through the shooting the film and we started thinking about the score. And, and it, was, it was one of those things I just thought, we came up with the idea, well, let's go to this, this local university where they have, actually have got a film course, apparently, for film music. And I contacted one of the lecturers and he said, um, yeah, we've got this guy called Umberto. You've got to use him, you know, get him in. So I got Umberto to give us a bit of a demo and he came up with some stuff and I was blown away. And, but he just graduated, so he graduated like a week after I first met him. Wow. So he actually wrote the music and scored the film from his bedroom in Turin, in Italy. So it's a, it's a true, it's a, you know, it's an international production. You know, I'm, I'm from Australia, I live in England, we've got an Italian um, musician, we've got people from Scotland, we've got people from Australia, we've got people from all over the world, you know, who've, who've, who've actually contributed to this film digitally. So it's you know I'm very proud, but Umberto, I'm, I'm re- honestly it means so much that you've said that because um, he's been up for a couple of awards, um, mm. but he's he's not really he's not really got anything, which I think is a bit of a travesty because I think he, he, that that music actually helps the film punch well above its weight. Absolutely, it, it is it is it really makes the film. I mean we had some you know the, the sound was really good. Um, the post production we used a, a company in West Yorkshire. Uh, local, it was a, a local, another up and coming com- company that does a lot of TV commercials, um, and they're called One Bright Dot, and they're in a little place called Brig House, and they again they did a lot with the sound, post production on the sound, with the grading, um, but they worked with Umberto, and Umberto would send the music across to him, and they, they, everyone was just going, "How old is this kid? <laughs> right. He's twenty three years old, and he's got." I mean, the stuff for me, the quality of the music is is is. You know, as good as anything you get in a Hollywood picture. I think he, he's phenomenally talented. Um, he does a lot of stuff for Dolce and Gabbana in Italy, so mm. he is in in demand, and we were really lucky. And, and it's one of those things. Over, I, I met him. I've met him twice. He came to the premiere of the film, and I'm and he came. And obviously, when I first met him, we met him face to face in a bar in Leeds, and we talked about the film. As you um, do, yeah, in as Leeds. you do, yeah, in <laughs> Leeds. And but. We've become friends again. You know, we've be, we've become really, really good friends, and he's helping us with our next project. Oh, great! Um, you know, which is again, he, but he's just got such talent. I mean, he's a he's a I think he's a concert violinist. I think his brother's a an opera singer. His mother and father are, are really talented. I think dad's a sort of an amateur opera opera singer. Um, and Alberto's very good on the violin and stuff. It's just you know, it's it's one of those things you sort of meet the kid, and he's just. Yeah, he's just a very humble... Knocks you away from the beginning. Yeah, humble guy, but he's just comes out with some fantastic music. And he took... I think that, for me, is that he took direction because I was... I, like I said to you originally, my influences are, you know, like The Exorcist and Get Carter. I mean, I also wanted to... Um, you'll notice in the film that there's quite a, a, a an Asian, a South Asian influence. There's a lot of Pakistani and a lot of Indian and mm-hmm. Sri Lankan um, sort of influence, all of the characters are, 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 are ethnic, and I wanted him to give us sort of some subtle hints. So, you know, you'll see there's a bit of sitar in there, mm-hmm. and, and he did that, and he took on he took on board a lot of my suggestions. He, uh, 
he'd never seen The Exorcist. And I find it really hard to believe anyone hasn't seen The Exorcist because it's, you know, it's got to be one of the greatest films ever made, regardless if you like horror or whatever genre. It's a fantastic film that tells a great story. So I actually got him to watch the film and particularly the opening five minutes of The Exorcist. So I sort of, I was trying to get across to him. I wanted that kind of uh, Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. South Asian feel. And so he, he introduced that and he, he brought that into it. So yeah, he took direction. So, uh, you know, as a director, it's a, it's a dream because sometimes you get people who are really creative and really good and they, it's their way or the highway. They won't do anything. But he, he listens and he's, he's, you know, he's very, very intelligent. And he, he, he was able to take direction. And I was, I'm just really grateful that I actually met him. I was, you know, it's one of those things, you know, you, I, I, give, I give thanks that I actually met Umberto and that he was as good as what he was because we, we struck lucky. I have no, you know, I, I tell everyone that we were very lucky to meet Umberto. And, I'm, and again, I'm just really glad you've said that because you'll be listening to this now and you'll just go, oh, Dave, that's a brilliant, that's a really bad Italian accent. But he, he is, he's just a, he's just a, just a, a and he's a genuinely nice guy he's a really really nice guy excellent Mm. i mean with this kind of global cast it seems like you know Mm. from people you know pulling from everywhere you said before the screening when we were talking that this has kind of traveled the world through different screenings and different you know festivals so talk about that experience and how it it how it has changed from screening to screening in various theaters across the world. Last year, it screened at the Ferretum Film Festival in Mexico, um, which was an experience. Um, it was a fantastic time, and the it, but the Mexicans love horror, and it was a big hit at the festival. I mean, people were ripping the posters posters off for the film off the walls and stuff. It was amazing, and you know the the reaction that the film got at the two screenings was 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 really humbling, because you know they they I think it's they I probably and Mexican way back in one of my past lives because they obviously love horror and they love gangster and they <laughs> love the they love both of those genres and it just it rung a bell with them and so I think um, the Q&A I did was about an hour long after the oh, film wow. it was amazing and they just they were very enthusiastic so the horror is a really big thing but you know in Latin America and right throughout South America horror is one of the most popular genres mm-hmm. um, and I think and obviously crime crime films or gangster films are as well so and I didn't quite realize that until I until I got there and I realized that it's um, you know it's a big part of the culture so I was very very happy so that sort of changed my perception of the film a little bit there because I just made this kind of little film low budget indie film that I was quite proud of and then I went there and I realized that there was we were onto something with this film um uh it I mean we went to Iceland about um, two, three months ago, I think it was at the end of January, and that rung a bell with them. But that was for different reasons because right. you know that's um, they're very. Uh, it's an isolated country. Um, it was obviously it's very snowbound and stuff. So they rely. They do a lot of. They watch a lot of uh, films. They stream a lot of films. There's not a lot of cinema. So for them to be to to actually watch a film and actually to meet the director was really was really important to them. And I, it was again, it was just one of those things. And I, I you know, I just I was very humbling because they were very very they were actually interested in the story behind the film in terms of like for instance where it was shot in Bradford um, and Leeds in West Yorkshire, particularly Bradford, is um, the heroin capital of Europe. 
Oh. Now, not many people know that, <laughs> and not many nobody would asked me that question. All of but, my listeners know that, so it's yeah. Fine. Well, uh, so. <laughs> yeah, um, and most well, it's you know, it's to do with the sort of the Afghanistan war and how you know the borders are sort of well open, and obviously you know between you know Afghanistan to Pakistan and stuff, and in India and all that, and a lot of the the poppy stuff makes its way out via via Afghanistan out through Pakistan and into the UK. Um, and Bradford is like the major distribution point. Now, nobody's asked me that question, but in Iceland they did. They asked me what the significance of hmm. West Yorkshire. So a lot of people are picking up on it um, from different different things. And basically, Poltice is against the film, but we've just sort of just turned a few of the conventions on the head, like with regards to a, the psychic medium channeling. So it's a female playing the gang boss. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, so basically, it's against the film, but we've just done a, a little bit of trickery um, to... to to, to you know to make it a little bit more commercial I guess yeah. you know, just to give it a bit of a spin well and that was the, like I love heist movies mm. in general mm. you know this whole that whole genre with this that was something that really stuck out to me as well so Alice played by Joan Mosley so her agency that she has that she kind of earned her way through this movie that was pretty incredible and her physical performance not just during you know the seance because we have seen that like you said in Poltergeist and a bunch of other times, but in that physicality where she would either slump her shoulders, it was all very subtle, you know, her transition. And then as she gets more comfortable in her skin, as it were, those transitions also. So talk about that and how, you know, how you guys kind of work together to craft that portrayal. Well, Joe is a phenomenal actress. She's, um, she's a well-established theater actress in the UK. She's, she's in demand. She's never out of work. And if, you know, if you know many actors, um, in theatre, uh, you know, the, 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 sometimes life can be very difficult. But she is never without a, out of work, and I think I think most of the actors that were used in in the film are never out of work. So that sort of pays to the, the quality of the acting that we managed to get. Um, it's just a, a quick story. The short film had d- a different set of actors in it. The only one that we we, we kept on from the short film was um, Tarek, the the, the, okay. the the character of Tarek. So he's mm-hmm. actually in the short film. But the other two actors, for various reasons, the one who played Alice and the one who played Boxy, uh, were, were unavailable because they're in demand. Um, so I auditioned um, four actresses to play the role of of Alice and they were all very good but again you've, you've, you've nailed that is her physicality in the audition was like blew me away because she it was different to the actress that had done the short film mm-hmm. it was her the way she, she adopted like you say the, 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 the body you could sort of feel her body you yeah. could see it changing and that was one of the things I remarked to my producer and to the, one of my co-writers it was I could see the body changing and her, you know, because she's she's actually quite petite. She's quite small, is Joe, but just this character, Frank. She and I, and I, and during the shoot, it actually, I think it affected her a little bit sometimes because mm. I don't think she enjoyed playing that role, the, the one of Frank. I think Alice is obviously, you know, more demure, and there's you know, there's obviously, you know, we don't want to give any spoilers away, but she's obviously, you know, a different, a totally different character to Frank. Absolutely, and. Um, and I think playing that that ugly kind of middle aged to, to older aged gangster and the whole sort of you know I think if you live in UK in UK well probably anywhere you live in the world we all know people like Frank pretty and much they're not yeah. <laughs> yeah they're not 
to varying degrees, yeah, you know. Yeah, but they're not nice. He's just there's not nice people for sure. Um, and I think she, she, such was her commitment to the role, and she was committed to the role. I, I you know, my hat was my my hat always goes off to Joe because she she was phenomenal in that role. During during the performance, she would you could tell that she didn't enjoy doing the role. But when she was when the camera started rolling, she was on it, and she hit her marks every time. It was it was amazing to watch. Um, you know, and again, it's like you know we talk about Umberto, but she again we were you know were we lucky? I don't know if we were lucky in terms of all the stuff because it was hard work. Um, Pushpinder, who played Uday, right? Um, you know, then who's you know who had to be. That that character, the the actual gang, the the the, the overall gang leader, um, we auditioned many actors to do that role, and we almost went for second best or third best, but we didn't. I hung out. I, I we we hung on. So what I'm saying is that it's persistent luck. You make your own luck, mm-hmm. and persistence is is really really important. I think, and and I just I just I I didn't want. Some of the actors that were putting in front of me, they couldn't get that level of psychotic, malevolent, drug-addled, sexual, you know, dinosaur kind mm-hmm. of just just that whole. I mean, that character we actually when we wrote it, we based it on Uday Hussein, the son of Saddam Hussein, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, you've read about or you've seen um, some of the mm-hmm. the movie stuff about the son of Saddam, and he was a complete and utter. Psycho. He was yep. like he was like Caligula, mm-hmm. and um, I'm a big big fan of history, so I wanted to make that character much like a cross between Caligula and and Uday Hussein. Interesting. And that's why we called it Uday. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was that whole. So you you notice there's a lot of that um, misogynistic, um, you know, women wanting all you know the sexual sort of thing. You've got to have all this stuff to to satisfy these cravings when you've got kind of absolute power. And mm-hmm. and 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 he did. A, and Pushpinder was great. Now Pushpinder um, is very much again in demand. So he was he was on tour all around the UK doing a a, a major theatre project. So we he was only available on Sundays and Mondays. Oh wow! Right, <laughs> so we geared most of the production around him and Joe. So we had to. My producer Peppy Fowler was fantastic because she, you know, syncing up diaries and making sure that people showed up, and we had the money right, and we had all that money that we could make sure to do it. You know, and, we, and we booked them, you know, weeks to months in advance to make sure everything synced up. So the rest of the cast, sort of, and the, and the crew were around them, um, and you know, Pushpinder was like Joe. Um, we're fan- just fantastic actors. We're fantastic actors, and I think it's testament um, to, to to that persistence of actually getting who you want to actually have the roles and getting some bloody good actors to do it. And and they are certainly both. You know, there's a lot of actors. There's a lot of good actors around. There's a lot of good actors. We were just really lucky that we got those two as well. Fantastic. Yeah. So after the festival circuit, is this going to be available? Are you going to do? Uh, on-demand release? Is this going to be physical release? Do you have a release schedule for it? Well, it's on um, release now in the UK. Okay. Uh, it's going to be released in Australia and New Zealand next month. And I've heard in uh, recent days that it'll be available in the US and North America in the next couple of months. So May, June, it'll be it'll become available. Um, you know, and, and 
it's it's like I say, it's done the it's done the, the whole festival circuit. So word is kind of spreading, and mm-hmm. you know, it's more. That's why the festival thing is is really important. So I always, I very much support the whole film festival uh, network because it's a way for indie filmmakers to actually get their stuff seen. I think um, it's much like as a, I'm a like I said, I'm a screenwriter and a writer and a journalist as well as being a, a filmmaker. And um, I think everyone who's who's involved with that knows that it's it's all very well making these things, but it's actually about getting people to see it. And um, you know, the, with the likes of um, some of the big streaming uh, companies now, it's like there's not a lot of money uh, for filmmakers to to get their stuff put online. So you know, you have to do your best to make sure that as many people can see it in order for them to 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 click on it and stream it and watch it. So some of that money comes back to the filmmakers, so you can make the next one. It's on Facebook and it's on Instagram and it's on Twitter and stuff. So we've been doing a lot of uh, paid and a little bit of a lot of viral stuff to make sure that people, you know, not only go to film festivals or not only know about it, but actually get them to click on it. And currently on Amazon, um, there's it's got over 50 reviews on Amazon and they're all positive and they're up to about 4.6 out of 5 which I'm told means something so everyone <laughs> says it's up to 4.6 Dave it's, that's great and I'm like I don't really know what that means but you know but it's great so you know and all yeah look you know I remember when Blade Runner came out and um, you know in the early 80s or 1981 and it was panned you know it was a, it was absolutely panned and to my mind I, I, I saw that at the cinema in Brisbane in Australia, and um, it was probably the greatest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. As a as a young man, I was like, young, not even young man, I was a boy. I was 11 years old. I saw that film, and I was like, this is just amazing. I couldn't believe that it had been slated. Um, and my my point is there that you know not all of the reviews of Poltergeist have been have been positive over, but but the majority have been, um, which I'm really proud about. But I think for me, it's always been the fact that Poltergeist is going to be a calling card, you know, that somebody who can tell a story, um, you can write a good script, get some good actors together so we can make the next one. And the next project is, is very exciting, um, which we're currently, you know, looking for investors for. We've got a couple of investors who've come on board. So it's a big one. It's going to be set in the States. Um, and it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a very ambitious project, but the script is... My co-writer, Paul Renard, um, has just finished the latest draft. I think we're on draft 41. Oof. Um, <laughs> but, but, but that's what you've got to do. Polterheist, yeah. Polterheist, I think we wrote 32 drafts of wow. it. Wow. Yeah. No, that's, it takes work. It, you know yourself. It's, you, know, you, you, you can't just sort of think that's, that's good enough you've got to be hard on yourself you've got to cut out some of the stuff that you really think is great you, you whittle and you whittle and you, you, you trim and you shave and you cut and that's what we've done with, we did with, with Polterheist and like lives that's what we're doing with the next project so you know which we hope you know to, to start filming in the new year um, in 2020 so you know we're very ambitious but that's you know that all comes down to the availability and, and where it's going to be available to watch so please go and watch it if you like it, then you know, do us a review because you know we want to go and make more films. Absolutely. And where is a central place where people can find the most up-to-date information on Polterheist and your upcoming projects? Okay, so um, it's on Facebook. It's Polterheist Film um, on Facebook. It's Polterheist Movie on Twitter. And I think it's um, the official, Polterheist Official on uh, Instagram. Um, but yeah, just... Please, you know, please follow us. There's loads of updates going on there. We've got a huge viral campaign going on at the moment, which is, you know, some really, some really cheeky, some naughty stuff going on there. <laughs> um, so yeah, just 
you know, enjoy it and support indie film. And, you know, if it's playing at a festival near you, go and watch it. Sounds great. Well, I've been sitting down with co-writer and director of Polterheist, David Gilbank. Thank you so much. My pleasure. See you soon. Joining me for my next fireplace chat is Matt Pop and Roberto Lanzis from the film Luchador. Oh, yeah. I got to say, the fireplace is nice. I know you can't see it right now, but it's warm, (laughs) stunning, toasty. Uh, Nothing like a fireplace that is not on during the middle of the day. Last night, (laughs) the the ambiance was great. I bet. I bet. Still is now. Uh, So, Luchador. So, this is an Australian film about a Mexican luchador. I got to hear where that came from. Yeah, for sure. So it's it's a complicated one. It is a technically a Canadian made film by an Australian director about a Mexican. <laughs> so a little a little tricky. Oh, that old chestnut. Hard, yeah, yeah, hard to get your head around, but Everyone you know, the world the world is a beautiful place. We're all united. So let's just mm. be international and do it all. Yeah, <laughs> no um, limits. So, uh, yeah, where did Luchador come from? It's a it's a hard one to explain, but um, my, my good friend Nathan McCowan wrote it. He, uh, he started out watching, just randomly started watching old El Santo films. El Santo was like a, a famous Mexican wrestler mm-hmm. who, who did a lot of movies. He was kind of like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of Mexico. Times um, about 10 with the output. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So he started watching a lot of those. It was just super inspired to do a superhero web series. Uh, so he, he put together this pilot and uh, we, we started like playing around with uh, some different packages and trying to budget it and whatever that might be. And then we, we got the, the green light from Tell a Story Hive to, to make it. They gave us $10,000 to make the pilot, which is uh, tight, but it is enough to definitely get started and to do something. Um, so that's, that's what we did. We put it together and we, we made the pilot and we're pretty, pretty proud of it. And Roberto as Santo, as the, yes. as the, the titular luchador in this film mm-hmm. where did your inspiration come during kind of the transformation uh you will see as your character progresses the transformation yeah <laughs> well yeah well behind the scenes i did a lot of push-ups sit-ups uh-huh. <laughs> you know i i had a, a professional uh, wrestler guy come and train me on site and at home uh especially when i needed to to stunt do some stunts you know i, re- I really went out there and i uh yeah no, <laughs> we had we had Chad Riley. <laughs> Chad Riley is one of my favorite stunt coordinators. He's he's a local, and uh, he he heard about the project and just jumped on straight away. And I didn't really know what we're gonna get into. Like I was I was really nervous about the stunts. Very very nervous about the stunts um, because y- you need money. Like stunts are expensive, and we're doing like aerial stunts. Mm-hmm. So I was really nervous, and he was like, "Dude, I got it. Trust me. Meet me in two weeks. We'll do a little like previs rehearsal." And I showed up with these guys that he actually cast, um, and they just nailed it right off the top. I couldn't have been more excited. I really did not expect that. And that's the thing, like for me, like in the script, like I figured, you know, something was gonna happen, you know, a kabuffle down in an alleyway, and then I'd take off my mask and I'd be exhausted, like, whoa, whoa. But I had, I had zero idea what was gonna happen. And that for me, is like, okay, well, I mean, I, that's kind of cool. I, I go on set and I see what happens and I just go with the flow, I guess you can say, but how these guys pulled off those stunts is, is unbelievable. And with like the weather and everything like that and mats, and then we had to get rid of the mats, um, you know, to do like the ones that were falling stunts, you know, what, and they had such a great attitude about it. And then after everything, and they were like breathing and oh, exhausted, like, okay, Roberto, go. <laughs> now it's your turn. Like, remember, you just did this. You just, you just did like a flip and he broke his arm, he broke his leg. So boom. And I'm like, 
okay, <laughs> I guess I'll just I'll take over. Tap it. I tapped him. You know, okay, I'll take over. And then I uh, and I and then I went from there. But it was an amazing, really cool experience. And even just to watch how they they had to adjust the camera and everything like that too. Because I've seen some stunts go on on other sets, but this was very like. A very collaborative thing because everybody behind this uh, camera and Jalika, you know, she she definitely had like a really hard job too because with all the stunts that were going on, that can all be amazing and, and epic looking. But if it if we don't capture it on camera properly, or if she misses a few angles, that might have just especially with like the breaking of the limbs, you know, we like, gotta go again. Yeah, and and we like, had to keep doing like, it again. They were stuck on that. Yeah, yeah. So eventually, it kind of was like God. Ooh, okay, <laughs> let's do it again. <laughs> let's do it again. You know, just to get it right, right? We had we had one small moment where I think someone, no one hurt themselves, but someone like just came down wrong and was a little tight and just needed a few minutes. And uh, mm -hmm. I just remember I was like, I was like, hey, I kind of need another one. <laughs> and Chad just looked at me. He's like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> like you sure? I'm like, yeah, I really need it. And he's like, all right, but you owe me a beer, man. Like, yeah. all right, here we go. And they were totally cool about it too at the end of the day as well, right? Because yeah, they know, were awesome. Yeah. Well, awesome. the tough part also, I mean, not just stunt choreography is difficult, but you guys are shooting in an alley. So even laying down mats, that has to be tough. I mean, like, it was, it was a crazy experience, even finding the alley. Like, that was, that was one of my biggest fears. Because, you know, we're with Tell a Story Hive. We have to do everything by the book. We have to get location permits. And we're doing stunts, you know? Mm. I'm, yeah, I shouldn't say that out loud, but we are. <laughs> At the end of the day, they are stunts. So Which sometimes require, quote-unquote, insurance. Well, insurance. <laughs> we had to have insurance. Well, we had yeah. to have a location permit. I mean, in some ways, we may have needed offices as well to lock up streets. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't have any money, so we found <laughs> ways to make it work. Um, but we did everything by the book as, as best we possibly could. And... Uh, yeah, it was just just finding the alley was the scariest part for me. I spent the weeks leading up to it. I every single night I scoured the streets of Vancouver trying to find a spot, trying desperately, desperately to find a spot. I wanted somewhere that was uh, uh, privately owned, um, but looked right. And like everything that was private, they wanted so much money for it. It was almost impossible. So we realized that wasn't going to be an option. Um, what we ended up going with was actually the street behind my house at the time. It was so funny. I went for a walk with Angelica, the cinematographer. I was like, look, here's six locations that I think could work. Help me pick one. And we're walking, walking, walking. And then eventually we're walking back past my house and we walk past my house and she's like, why not here? Like, I'm like, you're kidding, right? After like, walking all over the city. All over the city. <laughs> really? She's like, this looks great, man. That can be the roof. And like, you can come around that corner. I'll put a 4K right there and an M18 right there. It'll look great. I'm like, all right, fine. Let's do it. Let's get the permit going. Out, yeah. So, And the good news about that is um, my garage backed onto the alley. So... I actually had a little bit of private space that I could do a little gear stash, that I could set up Video Village, whatever it might be. So that, that made it really convenient. Plus, we, I don't know how we survived it, but we ended up using my house, which was like a tiny, tiny two-bedroom like basement apartment as a, as a circus. Um, <laughs> That's about cozy. 50, 50 people cozy. in there. Like, Oof, I think you, you were processed in my wardrobe. Oh, yeah. No, you got a good sense of style, man. You got a lot of options in a small little closet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was tight, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, that is something that only certain people, you know, like directors and photographers, walking through dark alleys late at night with cameras is totally normal. Yeah. Totally fine. Nothing yep. creepy. Nope. 
Well, you should you should have seen the look on my landlord's face because I was like, oh yeah, I'm a film director. He's like, oh good on you, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> keep it up, bud. <laughs> and, then, and then like he he came around the corner when we were shooting that big epic shot, and he was like, whoa, man, this is this is pretty serious, hey? I'm like, yeah, I told you, like we make movies. Um, so that was that was kind of a nice feeling to know that it was as big as it was. It was oh, yeah. We were very we we're very lucky gear wise as well. We uh, we got a huge hookup with William F. White's. Mm-hmm. Um, like we couldn't have done it without them we also got a huge hookup from uh red eye pictures i think they go by um they supplied all of the camera equipment uh for a very reasonable price they were awesome uh, like without those two hookups we couldn't have done anything you know yeah. like yeah we're very lucky very lucky and those was really comforting about the whole thing is that even in like the weather and you know we had some 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 technical difficulties throughout uh, power wise you know it, it was it was funny <laughs> it was funny you know uh but at the end of the day like we all kind of have this i guess that's what i sense anyway this kind of approach to it is like, okay but remember why are we doing this again mm. right you know like it was all going to be worth it at the end of the day you know even if we were to stay a smidgen longer or we had to like deal with the weather or you know crafty being a little cold or whatever because i know there's some people that and i know people like top of my head that would vocalize stuff like really guys like really is taking like an hour like like really like shouldn't we be better at this or don't you guys do this for a living and you know there's a little bit of ego there there was like zero of it on this set like there was there was a lot of love there was a lot of love on the set like i was yeah i was really humbled by it um we I mean, like, I, I make, I'm an AD full-time as a job. That's what I do for a living. I've wor- I work on a lot of sets, and some are positive and some are not. But there was something about this particular set that everyone was very proud and excited to be there, and it was a really touching feeling. It was really beautiful. Best ones I've been in a long time, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was Easy. fantastic. Easy. Nice. Well, speaking of that kind of love and that reason that people were there, so talk mm. a little bit about uh, your friend who was kind of the originator of this yeah, this, this is uh, this is always a tricky story to tell, um, but uh, I'll just go straight into the thick of it. Basically, what happened is my my good friend Nathan McCowan. Uh, he he wrote a number of films that I I directed two of his his films, um, and he did a number of films that he was working on, and and we had this pilot Luchador that we were we were putting a package together for, and 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 trying to get greenlit, and uh, just just out of nowhere he very sadly passed away um in in like the i guess you'd say the the late stages of of not production prep but you know uh pitching prep and uh the the plan was to always go with tell a story hive that's that's the one that we wanted to go for and after he passed away there was it kind of sat on a shelf and we were all kind of heartbroken or very heartbroken and we weren't sure what to do and we thought about it and we were like you know what like if if this happened to any of us we would want our work to continue 100 percent i would want my art to continue in some way um so we decided to go ahead with with pitching and tell a story hive uh green lit us (coughs) as i mentioned earlier and they gave us ten thousand dollars to make the pilot, and with the obviously with the approval of his family, because after he passes away, they own rights to everything. They still own rights to everything. We don't own anything. This is this is for them. They own this. Um, they just they just wanted wanted to see it made, and they to this day are extremely grateful that it was made. Uh, but that's 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 what happened. We went ahead with it, and we. We talked to a lot of uh, our friends and his friends who were filmmakers, and we kind of got the family back together. 
as best we could to, uh, to, to make this in his honor at the end of the day. It's a very scary thing to do as a director as well Absolutely. because if, if it's not good, uh, that's really uncool. Mm. Um, or if mm. something goes wrong, like, like how, how, can you, how can you disgrace a name like that? But at the end of the day, like, I, I think he would be really proud that one, we did it. And two, he would be very proud of the product. I think we hit the flavors that he wanted to hit, the style, the storytelling that he wanted to hit. And it was a unanimous vote on all of those uh, storytelling textures. Um, obviously, we had to make a few little adjustments to, to tighten the story up. But uh, I think he'd be very proud of it. I really do. And I know that his family are proud of it. And I know that his family are grateful. And man, we had the best time doing it. Is it it's, a different, it's a different reason to make a film, you know? Because mm -hmm. like everyone I know who makes film is like, oh yeah, I just want to tell this story because it's just so important to me, you know? Mm -hmm. But like for us, it was like, no, this is important to a, a bigger, better cause. This is, mm -hmm. this is, there's a better reason to make this story. Um, and it's never about us. It's about that. And that changes the way people approach it. People put more into it. Um, and, and you get a result like we have. It's not perfect, but it's awesome. And it was so fun. Like crew call day one, like we just cracked beers, you know, like, 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 all right, safety yeah. meetings up. Yep. There you go. <laughs> ah, cheers guys. Let's have go. a blast. This yep. will be good. Like it was that kind of attitude. Um, let's just, it, whether it passes or fails, let's just have some fun doing it. And man, we had some fun doing it. It, it was, was it was a, a blast. Yeah. Loved it. That is awesome. And then you mentioned this is kind of the pitch almost as it were for hopefully a series. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We've played with some different ideas. It was originally a longer pilot um, and we had to shrink it down for the story hive uh, package. Uh, we, we, we've got some things going. We have a season written. Um, we took, we took notes from, uh, the finished story Bible and from like drafts of the episodes. And we actually ended up hiring a professional writing team to, to come in, uh, with no agenda and, and, and help us finesse and complete the story. So we have a season written and it's going to be extremely expensive. <laughs> um, but you know, we're, we're looking at some options and we'll, we'll find a way to continue the story because it's, it's awesome. At the end of the yep. day, it's a cool little story. And like, why the hell not? Let's just make it and have some fun. And one of the other things that I really appreciated you know, in this short film that we got here is the amount of Spanish that we heard. So is that something that is going to hopefully carry over then into the season? Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's a, it's a tricky thing to, uh, to, we want to bring as much um, uh, culture to it as possible and be authentic in that culture, but it's it's definitely a challenge for sure. Well, that's what was really fascinating about this whole thing is that Santo, Canadian Mexican, right? And I guess as he, as he grew up, I guess he sort of didn't really uh, uh, um, really hone where his family heritage is from you know so grandpa you know always uh played by uh fabian amazing human being mm -hmm. awesome awesome guy so Legend. so funny uh good guy um so you know and and so i guess for santo's character it was kind of interesting because his grandpa is definitely like hey no spanish mm -hmm. only speak spanish in this house only speaks Spanish. you know so then you can kind of see where i had to kind of play with a little bit of the um the spanish i guess you can say kind of 
not make it as articulate, as smooth as Grandpa, but still there, I guess. And that's what I'm kind of curious about now too, with 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 potentially, you know, pushing this story forward. Like, how much more so will Santo? Uh, we we really wanted to dig deep into the family element of Luchador when we continued writing the series. Um, and I don't want to reveal anything yet, yeah, yeah. but oh boy, oh boy. I'm curious. I'm just curious. <laughs> there's you guys. Like, I don't there's know a idea. really interesting yeah. little story there. Oh, man. Yeah. And we go, we go really deep into the Mexican culture as well. We have a number of like story consultants uh, awesome. working with us as well to make sure there's authenticity and that we're using uh, characters that are okay to use and we use them properly. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's going to get interesting. That's oh, for that's sure. So cool. There's some really cool stuff coming up. Nice. Well, we will definitely do a follow-up uh, once that season is closer. When you do feel more comfortable sharing some of those absolutely those secrets. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, this is bliss. <laughs> yeah. The film was Luchador. Uh, it definitely was a passion project. And hearing the story, you know, at the Q and A, and here again, I absolutely believe you in that his family would be so proud of the work that you guys did. So you should definitely you. Uh, take that with you. And then where can people find you guys on social media and updates on the project? So you can find Luchador at luchadorseries.com. Uh, Luchador Series is the hashtag that we're using as well. Uh, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, uh, online. Uh, you can also find us under the Tell a Story High video on demand. They have a website there where all of their funded series or short films are online and anyone can watch them for free which is even better you can watch luchador right now just go to tellastoryhive.com and if you're youtube savvy you'll find it there too sounds good so i have been sitting down with matt pop and roberto lanzas thank you guys so much thank you for having thank you. us it's been awesome. a pleasure yeah it was awesome writer director rusty nixon and producer james clayton from the film amy welcome to the show it's great to be here. Hey, thanks for having us. So Amy is a fascinating film, unlike something that I had seen before, where this cell phone AI that all of us carry in our pockets suddenly is malevolent. <laughs> so uh, Rusty, how about you talk about when you were writing this, mm -hmm. kind of what inspired you, what pieces of technology kind of inspired this? Yeah, it, it's, it just gets scary, the AI of today, just how, how well it starts to know you. Especially mm -hmm. you hear people go on like, oh my God, I keep getting all these commercials on my feed that are like just something. I, yesterday I talked about cat food. Today there's a commercial about cat food. It's just, it's just weird how it's getting to know you so well. And I think that's the scary part, when a computer knows you. And we're not used to people, especially something like that, being able to know us that well. And then James, from the producer side of things, mm. when you're first kind of putting this together, I mean, one of the many questions that people have is, what does a producer do? So on, on this film in particular, kind of what were the main things that you felt were important for the story? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I mean, a producer can definitely be a, um, a broad term. Mm -hmm. uh, for this one, um, I was actually really heavily involved in coming up with uh, the story concept. So, you know, I was approached to make this film and they said, listen, we want to make something that has technology, that has AI and we need it to be scary and it's got to be on a cell phone and I went okay well we definitely can't have it you know suddenly electrocuting people and doing all these funny things how do we make it so that it can be active and believable and grounded reality 
And so, you know, we had a lot of conversations and we went, well, what if they were best friends? It, it's a reflection of real life. Mm -hmm. And then the next question uh, after that is, well, okay, then how, what audience are we going to deliver this to and what's the genre? So we went, well, let's make a slasher because those are always fun to make and mm -hmm. I think it's going to, you know, uh, be great for a younger audience. And then, you know, my role in particular was overseeing the story and then every aspect of producing from physical production to the editing to the marketing, everything all above. And, and also, you know, bringing Rusty on board because I thought, you know, I've worked with Rusty in two films before. Oh, okay. He's uh, such an incredible talent. He directed a film called Residue that was on Netflix and Candyland, which just came off of Hulu, actually. And I thought, okay, well, this guy's got such a delicious sense of humor. Let's... Let's see what he does in this arena, really. Yeah. So, Rusty, then, was this your first kind of foray into horror in this way? This is probably my first um, undeniably horror film, because a lot of my films are uh, multi-genre, I guess you would call them. Or, yeah, cross-genre. Uh, cross-genre. So this, this was like, oh, this is all horror, and I was really excited to do that, because I love horror since I was a kid this has been and, and horror films are so much fun to make I always thought they'd be fun to make but it was so true this was so much fun to make and that's the thing about Rusty is you'll watch his films particularly this one and you know you may go oh he, he must be like a really dark person but Rusty's <laughs> actually probably the sweetest most empathetic guy I've ever met and he's actually like really kind he just hap I guess he takes out all of his aggression as art, maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> it definitely doesn't reflect him in any way. Yeah, I find it surprising. <laughs> I, just, I just loved horror since I was a kid. Mm. Uh, it was that forbidden fruit when you were at the video store. Mm. You weren't allowed to go look at them because, like, mm -hmm. you know, you're too young for them. And it's this little special section. And I can relate to that, too, because I, I would sneak down when I was five years old and I would watch Terminator. I saw Terminator when I was five. I remember vividly. Wow. <laughs> and then my parents caught me watching it and they said, well, you might as well just finish watching it. And it was the wow. part where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is cutting his eye that's been damaged out in the first one Ooh. and I remember I got so scared I broke into a fever and it was that was the start of a lifelong love affair of, of horror films in particular so yeah <laughs> well, that just reminded me of that <laughs> I was like yeah that is interesting that you say yeah. that what was the last film to give you that kind of physical visceral reaction first one that came to mind was the Babadook Really? Okay. Yeah. I've Jennifer got, Kent, I believe, did that one. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I, I actually I can't remember the filmmaker's name, but all I'll say is that it's a testament to her talent because when that Babadook first comes in and that the shadow and it's like, ah, the sound design, I thought it was brilliant. It literally gave my wife and I chills when we watched it. Wow. Rusty, how about you? I will always say George Romero, Dawn of the Dead. Mm. Mm. That, that one really changed me. Because it was a horror film, zombie film, but yet he added community. <laughs> he he, he yeah. made it feel like, oh, this is how people would react if there was a. And he used military people. He wasn't afraid to make it uh, feel very real, <laughs> which is crazy for a zombie. And it really uh, just ushered in a whole different era of horror, I think. I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. Fantastic. And then kind of to wrap things up, since we have a few other people to get to, you know, as part of Amy. So with this, I talked about the audience, you know, that you guys were, were going for. So now that it is finished, completed, how successful do you think you were in kind of nailing that audience that you were initially hoping for when you were developing it? That's a big question. <laughs> um, 
I'm very proud of the film, uh, and I don't know how to actually answer it 100% because tonight's screening is the first time that we're showing it in front of people. Oh, wow. Uh, like I an, did not a, know a, that. A full unbiased audience. Like okay. We did a very, very private screening for some of the cast and crew, mm-hmm. and they flipped out for it, and we got mobbed by our own people. Um, I'm not sure if that'll that'll happen on the set. <laughs> right. uh, I hope so, but I, I think we were successful. Um, I hope we were. Yeah. What do you think, Rusty? Yeah, no, I think it's a. I think the amount of uh, I think the amount of fun we had making it and the joy we had making it will show. And I don't know. And I know it's a horror film. It shouldn't, but it, you need that. You need to enjoy. You need to have moments of brevity. You need to be relaxed in order to get scared. And I just think we really. Uh, yeah, and a lot of people worked really hard. And Clay sells himself short when he says what a producer does, because he literally threw this film on his back, climbed up a whole other mountain. Like, you think your work's done when you finish the film and you get it <laughs> edited. No, mm-hmm. you're, just, you're just, there's a whole other mountain yeah. that dwarfs the one that you climbed up. And you go all the way down, all the way back up that. And Clay did that with this film on his back, so he did a lot. Oh, like, thanks, yeah. man. Color correcting, <laughs> edit, like everything, 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 so... Yeah, lots of lots of hard work, and that's that's what a when they ask what a producer does, I, I always think the answer is kind of everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> everything. Because yeah, depending on the production, you know, it could definitely be everything from that color correction, color grading, post production to marketing, mm-hmm. to financing, to crafty everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah. I had a fr- real quick story, but I had a friend uh, say he was watching an interview about. John Cassavetes, and apparently an actor walked in on him one time and he was fixing the toilet on set. Wow. And the, and the actor was like, oh my God, do you not have enough money to actually call a repairman? And he said, no, like, I care. This is what directors do. Wow. I'm here to do this. And this is Cassavetes. Yeah, man. That's it. It's a pretty, pretty amazing story to hear. So I, I always took that to heart. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. We're going to go sell popcorn now. We'll do yeah. whatever it takes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, and you know what? It's actually worth mentioning that uh, Amy is actually going to be available July 2nd on all major digital platforms. So awesome. we're really excited to make that announcement today for it. And there's going to be some further announcements of release. Uh, but you'll have to stay tuned for that. Excellent. And then where can people find those updates? Where is the best place people can go? Either website or social media? Absolutely. Uh, we have a Facebook page, which is uh, Amy the Movie Official, uh, on Instagram and Twitter, Amy the Movie. So we'll be definitely be announcing them there. Uh, and then um, hopefully you'll probably be seeing like some commercials and stuff like that. Maybe you never know. Sky's the limit. Yeah. Fantastic. And then individually, if you guys want to talk about your social media for the various projects that you're going to be involved in, both with Amy and outside of Amy. Absolutely. Well, uh, my Instagram is at uh, official James Clayton. Uh, that's the same as my Facebook and my Twitter is J Clayton actor. And that's where you can get all of my content. Rusty. Yes. My um, Instagram is Russ Nix 75 and uh, Rusty is coming up soon. Fantastic. So thank you so much. Well, I have been you. sitting with literally sitting in a stairwell uh, <laughs> with the writer director, Rusty Nixon and James Clayton, the producer of Amy. This is a real honor. Yeah, Thanks for thank you us. so much, John. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Two more stars from the film, <laughs> Amy. <laughs> Do not laugh yet. You are you are in there. <laughs> you're, you're a co-star. Havana Guppy and Phil Granger. Welcome to the show, you two. Thank you. Thank you. So Amy is an interesting story. <laughs> 
So Havana, when you first saw the script and you saw this kind of best friend angle, what were your first reactions to it? Oh, it creeped me out, especially because I think technology is getting too far anyways. <laughs> so I could see this is something that could be a possibility, you know, customizing your like, series or your Alexas or whatever too far and how that would be creepy. Um, so I <laughs> just kind of like confirms my my thoughts already. <laughs> now, during that process, did it alleviate your fears or worsen your fears? I think it probably worsened them. Oh, great. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Phil, same question. Same thing. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, social media has taken over everybody's life. And, um, you know, the, the possibility of your devices listening to you, uh, gathering all the information about your personal life, getting your photographs together and sort of weaponizing that is a very real possibility. Matter of fact, Elon Musk claims or states that AI is probably our greatest danger of the future. And, you know, it's, I, I had this speaker, uh, a couple of them through my house, and one day... I was just talking and it picked up on it and started like talking back to me. And I was like, that's freaking weird. <laughs> right. right? You know, it started like, you know, I can't remember what it was, but it could have been like, oh, yeah, you know, that podcast you had the other day. It was very good what you did. Something like that. It just started talking back to me. I was like, my wife said, that's creepy. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I, get I know. It. And and let's I- turn, let's mute the freaking speak, let's <laughs> mute the mic on that thing. And then she wonders why you brought more of them into the house. Yeah, I do. Because I like to see I'm just like, okay, it's okay. You know? Because you can tell her what to do, too. You can go, I want music now. And just does it. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> but not when it just randomly picks up what you're seeing in the room. And I imagine it could do with that with cameras or everything. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. I feel like they're always it. listening. Yeah. And you don't know when listening. they're not. Or if they ever are not. That's, that's, that, that's fun. Yeah, listen, <laughs> fun, right? fun. And terrifying, really scary. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing it is, it is listening, but it is also learning. I think that is the, the yeah. biggest key. And what this film really touches on is that it is not just listening to you, like, you know, play some music. It is not just doing that. It is like, tell me about your day, mm-hmm. you know, and then you are having this conversation. So it is learning as it is going on. Yeah, yeah it's collecting all your, your stat- statistics, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that you like and... Who you know, like Havana Guppy, (laughs) who would know that I've known her since she was (laughs) one, like just born. Oh, wow. Like I was a day old. Who would know that? One day, not even a day. Not even a day. A couple hours. Same day? (laughs) Yeah. A couple hours. That's pretty awesome. My best friend's her dad. Yeah. Oh, nice. How lucky we get to work together. Yeah. That is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true Mm -hmm. that. So with this, with Amy, Mm -hmm. so for both of you, if you had to modify this crazy contraption that was in your hand and this terrifying thing what voice would it be oh like what voice would i choose Mm -hmm. if i could oh that's weird Mm -hmm. um (laughs) i don't know i feel like i mean i see my best friend all the time but if i had her in my (laughs) pot that seems weird (laughs) i don't know i can't even finish that sentence it seems weird um uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe her, because then it'd be like I'm talking to her and getting her advice, and she's telling me like all my internet searches and all that. So just yeah, I don't know. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, what about you? <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Ooh, good call. How you doing, Phil? What's going on? 
as Tim Phil worked on, as Phil works on his Jack Nicholson impression. <laughs> yeah, this is the premiere, like the with a full audience. Yeah, they're not just friends and family. What is the feeling you hope to have at the end of this? Uh, I j- I hope people have a lot of fun watching it. Um, because I know we had so much fun making it. It was such a blast. So as long as people leave just feeling excited and hopefully scared, that'd be pretty cool. It's awesome. I, I, I can't wait to see uh, how the audience reacts to it, you know, because we've both seen the movie before. Mm-hmm. So I'm mostly going to be watching how everybody else is viewing it to see. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping that they, everybody really has a good time. Scares the pants off of <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And then where can people follow uh, both of you on social media to see where your upcoming projects are, including this? Uh, yeah, just uh, Instagram is just Havana Guppy. And then my Twitter is just Havana Guppy. <laughs> so that makes it pretty easy. easy. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Phil? Same thing. Phil Granger, Twitter, Instagram. Look at you two. Yeah, Professionals. Straight to the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. So I've been talking to two of the actors involved with Amy. Havana Guppy and Phil Granger. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Sitting now with the stars of Amy. So I have the pleasure to sit down with Debs Howard and Bonnie Hay. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So Debs, when you are when you're looking through this project, when you are on set, you know, interacting with this device. Did they already have the voiceover? Were you hearing that? Did they have it looped in? I want to hear about that process. Oh, uh, yeah, good question. So they actually had uh, James Clayton do the voice. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so usually it was James uh, doing the voice of Bonnie, who is supposed to be my mother. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think I did like two days. Yeah, yeah. You know, sporadic. Yeah, but, but usually yeah. it was James or yeah. one of the other producers. Um doing the voice and so it was pretty awesome to think of him as my mother <laughs> I mean, who I just, wouldn't right i just i wondered about that because as i was watching the film and we have these one-on-one conversations essentially with you and your phone and so i was just i was really wondering yeah with the background now with, with james acting as this or is he just reading the lines flat Oh, no, no. He was going all out. Nice. Yeah. He was like really like diving into the motherhood. (laughs) (laughs) See, now somebody on the crew, some either stills photographer, there is audio of this somewhere, I am sure. There has to be. That needs to be on a behind the scenes feature out on the DVD. (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. He's great. He should consider being a mother one day. (laughs) (laughs) Anything is possible. Yes. It's 2019. Now, Bonnie, when did you first get involved with this project? Um, Well, actually, they had been looking for a while, and um, I knew Blaine through an acting class that we were taking, and he went, would you mind recording your voice and and also doing the scene where I am shown? And I said, sure. It had to be very quick. I basically did it and sent it in the next day, and they looked at it and went, oh, that's it. So that was like very nice for me and yeah so that's how it all started and then um, yeah I I recorded on my phone a little bit here and there Mm -hmm. and uh, went into the studio and did some um, uh, we set up a microphone in a uh, recording in in a car Mm -hmm. during some of the shoot and stuff like yeah so it was uh, it was really fun coming from an audio medium 
We make audio happen wherever we can. That's in right. In a stairwell, <laughs> in a car, wherever we can make it happen. Professional <laughs> podcast studio. Exactly. <laughs> now, with Bonnie, how you said that you first recorded it into your phone. And in the film, we hear some different variations and modulations. Yeah. How long did it take you to find the voice of Amy? Well, that was, uh, you know, the 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 first more sterile, structured voice of Amy was... Um, a little easier for me because uh, I'd done the voice um, various times before just as fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, that voice is kind of out there. Uh, you hear it on trains, right? It's, it's somewhat sterile, but you try to still be kind, but articulate. So it's, you know, it's very, hello, how are you? So it's kind, but still sterile. And then as the film cr- progresses, as you know, then um, the character of Amy becomes actually more human in a sense. So it was a nice arc to do that I could start, um, you know, uh, putting a little uh, emotion into it. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then similar, Debs, mm-hmm. as opposed to the audio performance that changes and morphs throughout the film, your character definitely changes <laughs> either by <laughs> no by influence of of this maternal figure mm-hmm. talk about that process and how you kind of worked your way through that process yeah well um i talked about it with rusty and james about how um kind of when you lose your best friend just how lonely that is and and how uh just yeah kind of alone um they wanted they wanted Cassie to feel and be portrayed. So we kind of really dove into that. Um, and so that, that was hard. And then, uh, I mean, obviously she, she builds this connection because she's so thirsty for human connection. You know, her friends aren't the greatest friends. Right. Her boyfriend's not the greatest boyfriend. No, not really. <laughs> so then she starts to build this trust with her um, phone aka mother Mm -hmm. and uh and that like i think it goes to show how i think it's really cool because it goes to show how easily you can be influenced by a technology and b Mm -hmm. just like the people you love yeah um the wanting heart right yeah, 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 totally. And yeah, if you want something badly enough or, or believe in something enough, then you can kind of, who knows where it'll lead you. Yeah. So, yeah, something that gets you through the night can be a good thing or a bad thing sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And then last question uh, that I asked your fellow co-stars. So if you had an Amy, mm. what voice would you want to hear? Oh. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. See, now you're getting serious on us. I, you know. I think Steve Buscemi. Wow. Oh, I love <laughs> Give that. Give me a Steve Buscemi. Okay. Yeah. Just I like, like and, and like a Steve Buscemi that yells at me sometimes and <laughs> and just like says bad things. I think I'd, I'd dig it. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Bonnie? I like that. Even a Gina Gershon kind of feel, right? A little down and dirty sometimes. <laughs> okay. But to also then be serious, I, yeah, it, it would kind of tear up my heartstrings, but maybe my mom. Okay. Yeah, so same. Excellent. <laughs> and then where can people find you guys on social media so that after this film gets seen, they can start to follow you both with this film and your next projects? 
Well, I'm at uh, at Debs Howard on everything, so that's pretty basic and simple. <laughs> nice. Bonnie? Well, you can find me on Facebook, Bonnie Hay, and also Instagram. I go under Bon J Hay, B-O-N-N-J-H-A-Y. But you can just type in my name also, and it'll come up. Fantastic. So again, I've been sitting with the stars of Amy, Debs Howard, and Bonnie Hay. Thank you both so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again so much to all of my guests. Once again, Dave Gilbank, Matt Pop, Roberto Lanzas, Rusty Nixon, James Clayton, Phil Granger, Havana Guppy, Debs Howard, and Bonnie Hay. And thank you for listening to this episode of the About to Interview podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and review the podcast and follow on social media at About to Review. AboutToReview.com has full links to the show notes and guests. If you want to reach out to me and have me cover a film festival of yours, definitely hit me up at AboutToReview at gmail.com or on any form of social media. That is a quick way for us to start a dialogue and see if I can help out your festival by giving some creators an outlet to talk about their incredible works. Thank you again for the Vancouver Badass Film Festival for allowing me to cover this incredible event and also to David Abusafi, Generativity Productions, and Darkside Releasing for sponsoring my coverage of this festival. You can find links to all of those companies in the description below. Make sure to come back and check out the About to Review podcast, which is a weekly film review podcast. So thank you for listening to this episode of the About to Interview podcast. I have been your host, that guy named John, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.